Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. This week, we discuss the results from our taxes and hate bears lists, what we liked and didn't, how we might improve our list going forward, and after that, we dive into a new project, Project Lazav, where we'll take a detailed look at the Demir Mastermind, <laughs> looking at where he has seen past success, evaluating his strengths and weaknesses, and brainstorming potential homes for the wily shapeshifter. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Welcome to episode 5 of the Serum Visions podcast, coming to you from a shadowy alley somewhere in Ravnica. I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Also joining me, a master of disguise and surveillance, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing pretty well, you know, all things considered. Today is Thursday, two days after the U.S. election, and you know, I think everyone's just trying to stay sane. Yeah, I mean, things things look pretty positive, not perfect, but... I don't think things are ever perfect, but overall, for given you know all the crazy circumstances, uh, I would say I'm doing well, all things considered. Yeah, it's a it's a high stress time for sure. I actually got a flu shot yesterday, and I've never had a side effect to the flu shot before. But uh, yesterday afternoon and, and throughout today, I've been feeling a little bit off. And I, I don't know if it's because uh, <laughs> I got a flu shot during a very high stress time already. And I probably have a weakened immune system or if this one just happened to get me. Oh, but, I mean, uh, yeah, I love biology. You know, this is I actually I need to get my flu shot. I'm very bad. I need to get it. their flu shots are very important. I highly recommend everyone get theirs. Uh, but, you know, just. Yeah, what is it? Is it the flu shot? Is it just something else? Is it just a strange day for you? You know, are you just feeling different? Is it a placebo effect? You know, studying biology is just, it could be anything. It's crazy. It could be anything or it could be nothing. Yeah. And I'm not sure it's not nothing. Uh, so sadly, our third co-host, Zach, was unable to record with us this week, but uh, we will do our best to fill the time without him. Uh, never fear, though, he should be back with us uh, for the next episode. All right, so let's jump on in. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this meta. It's been about three weeks since we recorded our last episode, so we're actually a week behind schedule here. Um, so that also means that there have been three weeks of metagame challenges and uh, or metagame changes and uh, modern challenges during that time. We're going to actually skip over the earlier challenges and focus on some of the more recent stuff um, since the metagame has actually been shifting a ton lately. So diving in, looking at the challenge results from Halloween weekend, the most notable thing going on here, in my opinion, is the return of Greentron. 
Um, the Saturday Challenge had three Green Tron decks in the top 32, and all of them looked to be pretty stock or close to it. Uh, I saw a couple of bits and pieces that I, I don't know that I've necessarily seen before in Green Tron. Like I caught a Maze Mind Tome here and there. Um, I don't know how, how wild and crazy that actually is in Green Tron, but otherwise the, the lists all looked pretty stock. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually, I haven't seen any Green Tron recently, although I've seen it up in the challenges. I mean, I'm pretty happy about it. I have run into Blue Tron like three times though, which is, you know, always funny to see that deck. Uh, but I'm, you know, all my decks kind of get pretty, get hosed pretty hard by Green Tron, so I'm very happy not to see it. Yeah, I tend to play decks that are bad to Green Tron also, and somehow it's like the fourth or fifth match in all of my leagues. And I'm like, yeah, this league's going great. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the 5-0 this time, and then it's like Green Tron, you know, they'll mult a three and then turn three Karn liberated. And I'm just like, how? How do you do this every single time? Oh I, I actually built Green Tron in paper uh about a month ago and then when i went on a little vacation um went went to a cabin with some friends and um played a little bit and i got to play green tron and i don't understand what the difference was maybe my shuffler is broken (laughs) but i did not have natural tron on turn three as i was promised then I don't think you mulliganed enough. You know, that deck is about mulliganing like a degen. Like, you know, don't don't be afraid. You know, like if you're a three, a, you know, a three card hand of tower, power plant, mine is better than like most average six card hands. Yeah, that's scary. I, I, I have a really hard time letting go of those extra cards, but I think you're probably right on this one. Yeah, you should you should try it sometime. I think it, that's actually a great way. And I think for everyone in general, if you really want to level up as a magic player to play a deck that really aggressively mulligans, like for instance, I played a lot of colorless Eldrazi Stompy back in the day, even before the London mulligan. But that really teaches you, you know, like your four could be Temple Temple Mimic Thought Not Seer, and that is going to beat a lot of decks, especially, you know, this is even pre Eldrain when Modern was probably like half just significantly less powerful. And, you know, you could do this kind of nonsense. So even with those kind of those four card hands, you know, uh, I won a lot of games mulliganing really low and it feels really, really good. Uh, so and it teaches you a lot about mulliganing and just how the game works. So do recommend uh, playing one of those, you know, more degenerate decks to, to learn how to let go of your fear of mulliganing. I think that's probably very wise advice. And I, I do intend to give it some more playtime. Um you know, it's just hard to step away from the bruise, particularly when you're <laughs> playing online. You know, it's uh, all of the cards are at my fingertips. So, yeah. Uh, but back to the meta game, I'm guessing that this increase of Tron is probably due to uh, a decrease in prowess. I didn't actually spot any prowess in the top 32 of that Saturday challenge, unless you're counting the Rakdos Shadow deck as a type of prowess deck. But I, I really don't. Um, there seem to be a ton of mid-range control and combo decks in this top 32. It looked like uh, Uro Piles, Death and Taxes, and Oops All Spells were kind of rounding out the, the remainder of it. Um, there were some other odds and ends in there, but those were kind of the three big ones. And then moving on to the Sunday challenge, we kind of saw more of the same um, with maybe one notable difference, which was... Green Tron was completely absent in this one, 
And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of an uptick in the Euro piles. Um, I saw some Ponza lists in the top 32. Uh, and so maybe those were a reaction to the Saturday challenge and the pilots decided that main deck Blood Moon was where they wanted to be. Um, it's never entirely clear to me how often the Sunday challenge is actually like a, a response to the Saturday challenge metagame. You know, I don't know if it's uh, different sets of players or if it's the same players just kind of, you know, watching stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, the Saturday and the Sunday challenges. I think there's definitely a big shift because on Twitter, you know, like people will post, oh, I top eight it or I won the Saturday challenge with this and this. And, you know, so even though the Wizards doesn't post a deck list, I do think if you're if you pay attention, you know, you can definitely find them on Twitter, or at least a good chunk of them and then kind of adapt that way. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, I mean, the uptick in Uro piles uh, makes sense. The Ponza is pretty interesting, but Ponza does prey on those Uro piles, which have really tr a lot of trouble against Blood Moon and a lot of my decks have trouble against Blood Moon, too. So I'm not the happiest about Ponza uh, making a comeback. But, you know, yeah. it well, makes a lot of sense, it, I'd say. And if if Tron is doing well on the Saturday, then Ponza makes sense on a Sunday, right? You know, mm -hmm. you see a couple Tron decks, you see some Murrow piles, and suddenly Blood Moon's looking pretty good. Uh, or just, you know, land destruction in general. Um, and then the other thing uh, that I saw in the Sunday challenge is that there actually were a handful of prowess decks in that top 32. So again, you know, the prowess decks seem like they would have really good matchups against Tron and, and some of these other slower decks. Uh, so maybe that was a direct response and maybe we didn't see Tron in the top 32 because of the presence of these uh, prowess decks. I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's very interesting. I've, I have actually noticed an uptick of prowess in my leagues recently. A lot of blue-red prowess, actually, and seeing, you know, watching some streamers who play against it, too. I also, I faced a mono-red prowess uh, not too long ago uh, with the Bedlam Revelers and Crash Throughs, you know, Lava Spikes, the really old, like the, the Ryan Overturf school of, of mono-red prowess, uh, which was, uh, you know, pretty cool to see because I hadn't seen it for a while. Yeah, uh, it seems like everything is kind of cyclical here, you know. We've, we've been seeing a lot of the same stuff kind of rise and fall week after week. Um, but you know, the, the sense that I got from looking at just this past weekend is that things definitely seem to be coalescing around Uro piles and combo decks. Um, I think in the Sunday challenge, uh, ad nauseum won that one, but I, I saw a lot of oops, all spells in there as well. Um, which kind of baffles me. I, it must be a much better deck than. I give it credit for, but I feel like every time I've played against it, it has been fairly easy to disrupt. Um, and I don't know if that's just that I had a particularly good matchup against it each time, or if the pilots were new, or what was going on there. Yeah, I think for Oops All Spells, a lot of it, uh, the much, you know, as being a kind of all in combo deck, the matches are pretty polarizing. Like the matches, the ones you do well against, you do well against, and the ones that you know have discarded in a clock, you're going to be in trouble regardless. So and but also the the deck is continually evolving too, which is really interesting. And Pioneer is also interesting, but you know, like some of them play Charbelcher main now. Uh, there's also there's a blue white variant running around that's kind of like the I don't remember the card it plays, but it's it's like Mana Severance, but for non-land cards. But it runs it's blue white, and it runs uh, all the blue white tap spell land, the modal land spells, and then you just kind of uh, then you have your Charbelcher, but then you also have uh, your several all your cards and then run with Thassa's Oracle, so it's pretty you know pretty interesting and they'll definitely 
they're going to continue to evolve over time until they find something good. But this, you know, it makes complete sense uh, that these card that these things would show up when you know they're difficult to interact with uh, on many axes. Yeah, and the fact that they are constantly evolving, like you said, means that people may not be able to learn how to play against them mm-hmm, very effectively mm-hmm. because you know you learn how to stop a particular strategy and then the next week it's you know slightly different or even completely different in some cases like this blue white variant i haven't seen that yet but that's that's pretty cool yeah um so uh yeah i you know like i was saying i think that things seem to be coalescing around the arrow piles and the combat combo decks of various varieties um mid-range toolbox decks uh you know still seeing a bunch of death and taxes we're seeing uh eladomri's toolbox which is i guess what we're calling the the green white titan vile vileless titan i don't know anymore the those decks also seem to be changing a lot um but the staple cards definitely seem to be Eladomri's Call and uh, a slew of toolbox creatures, which actually, you know, I think that's pretty cool, especially, you know, we, we were talking uh, a couple weeks ago about how um, these may be the closest thing to a Maverick list, and they kind of seem to be getting closer and closer to Legacy Maverick over the weeks. So, uh, yeah, I guess we weren't too far off on that one. Yeah, that's a that's a super interesting point. I kind of didn't realize that it is kind of coalescing like a Maverick deck that just goes way over the top of you with Primeval Titan and Field of the Dead. But I definitely I totally agree with uh, your analysis right now, and that I mean Modern's just wide open like always. Like you can play nonsense, you can play good decks, you can play this, you can play that. You know, like I I hit I faced Blue White Merfolk. The other day, like blue white merfolk of all things, no Loris, just like straight up blue white merfolk with paths and wanderwine hubs, and you know that was sweet, and I beat it. But anyways, just you know, normally I most of the merfolk things I see are simic or the blue black with Loris, so to see the white one was pretty cool, and you know, just especially in the leagues, you just get everything, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that. It means that it's pretty free for brewing. You know, I think that it's always possible to brew, but in these super wide open metas, it means that we can brew sort of off the wall stuff and not feel so bad about it. When you have really narrow meta games, you kind of have to get pigeonholed into certain card choices or certain deck types because you you know what you're going to expect and you know what you have to play to to be able to beat those things. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with the fact that things are kind of all over the place. I like that. And I, I do want to mention uh, that there was this really... Uh, I was actually told this uh, by Squad Chief, the streamer. I saw that he was streaming uh, this, and I so checked it out, and then he told me that he got... I was like, oh, this deck looks familiar. Then he told me this deck 5-0'd. And this is Worg, uh, on MTG Goldfish. This is by uh, Hobbitran. Uh, big shout out. It's a Yorion list, and it seems a lot like one of the first uh, Temur Kinnon shells that Zach and I were doing really well with. Uh, but, I mean, this list is honestly wild. I'll just read it off because it's crazy. Uh, Yorion's the companion. For your creatures, you have four Gilded Goose, four Fibblethip the Lost. Uh, which is essentially a leg- one blue for legendary Lanowar Visionary, four Ice Fang, four Kinnon, four Emery, three Skyclave Apparition, four Uro, four Omnath, four Urza, one Yorion main deck, and then two Iona Shield of Ameria. Uh, it also has three uh, 
Karn the Great Creator, for Eladamri's Call, and then for Mox Amber, for Springleaf Drum, and for Aether Vial. And I think, you know, like the, the best thing about this deck uh, is it only plays 23 lands, which is incredible. Like it, my first version played 23 lands, uh, but I also had four Ren and Six. And so this is without Ren and Six. It does have Vial, uh, but I don't know. And then the only artifacts in the sideboard are Damping Sphere and Platinum Emporion. So this is, you know, I mean, this list is beautiful. It is definitely has the shell of the Temur, uh, Kin and Urza list we had. Uh, Brian, do you have any yeah, comments on this uh, I, beauty? This thing just like, it, it baffles me in so many respects. So you got Emery and Urza, but only tw uh, 12 artifacts uh, plus... Uh, Gilded Goose. So, I mean, you could say you have a soft 16 artifacts right there. Um, like you said, Karn the Great Creator, but only two possible tutor targets in the sideboard to wish for. Uh, a playset of Ice Fang Quaddle, and only five Snowlands to go with it. So, it's not going to be, you know, quote unquote, enabled a lot of the time. Omnath with 23 lands in an 80 card deck. <laughs> I, just so much going on here. Uh, this pilot must be full-on galaxy brain, and I really hope they continue to have success with this list or whatever other wild pile they come up with because this just, like, when I see Emery and Urza, I'm thinking, like, I want 25 or 26 artifacts, right? Like, I want Urza to come down and make a huge construct and make a ton of mana, or I want Emery actually milling things that she can recur. And then this is just like, you know, YOLO. I don't care if I'm milling a bunch of junk into the, the <laughs> graveyard. Like, it doesn't matter. There's too many good cards packed in here. We don't care. We're just, we're going for it. So, yeah, this is, this is awesome. And uh, this is the kind of list I like to see on the 5-0 list. Yeah, it's just, you know, I will say, I mean, this, this is abomination. However, uh, this uh, uh, Hobbitron, uh, with playing the two Iona Shield of Ameria, I realize now that like the nine mana with triple white is going to be nearly impossible in this deck. However, it's a Kinnon hit when you flip Kinnon, which is really, really interesting to me because in a lot of the Kinnon shells I've been working with, you do wind up being able to activate Kinnon uh, pretty often. Uh, you know, sometimes it's like depending on the shell that you have you have more hits than others like you know always uro and emery are always pretty solid hits but i've messed around with uh, four color ones that have omnath which is also a great hit uh, i've messed around with the uh, Seltai version that went hard on the mana and ran two gristle brands to try and get those out or flip those out and the whole kind of thought about kitten's ultimate activated ability is i'm trying to find a good payoff but a good payoff needs to be able to essentially end the game on the spot, regardless, you know, ideally, uh, you activate the ability, you hit your hit, and no matter what the game state is, no matter what you're playing, like what deck you're playing against, uh, you know, ideally the th threat that just comes down and ends the game. Like something like Gristlebrand, where you draw seven, now you've got a seven, seven flying lifelinker. You know, that's going to be hard to come back from that. Uh, but Iona is really interesting because it also beats the fair deck. It, beats the unfair decks uh, and it's probably pretty good against the fair decks too like control or anything so you know this definitely uh i'm really intrigued by this iona concept i might actually wind up taking uh taking this tech and trying my own band version uh 
then just you know see what happens. Iona, Iona's a pretty sweet card. Yeah, that's that's pretty spicy. I actually for one of the Faithless Brewing community leagues, um, I built a Kinnon deck. Uh, it was the Brew Around card for one of the Pioneer weeks, and my thought was, um, you know. Basically, make a bunch of mana, as Kinnan wants to do, uh, and then maximize those hits. So the whole idea was utilizing Kinnan for the activated ability. And I ran some Shalai, because I figured if Kinnan's making a bunch of mana, you could put that into Shalai as a mana sink, pump up all your like mana dorks and stuff like that, turn them into real threats. Mm. Um, and uh, I ran Dream Trawler, and I ran Kogla, the Titan Ape, and then a couple like one-off, you know, little um, creatures for for different things, like a um, what's the uh, green white uh, generic um, Knight of Autumn? That's the one. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, just like a little bit of a toolbox. And um, I played against Cave Dan, and he was on like a mono blacklist. And in response to a Thoughtseize. I managed to get a Shalai hit, and so like he just completely <laughs> wasted his Thoughtseize, and so good. Um, you know, go into combat, and then you you spin the wheel, and you come out with a Kogla and kill their only attacker or whatever. It was it was pretty sweet actually. Um, yeah, so I don't know what the the game winning threat is. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe we're onto something here with the with the angel, but. Um, I, I think that the idea of using Kinnon's activated ability to try and, you know, get, get creatures at opportune times is pretty sweet, and uh, I definitely think that's worth pursuing, so. Yeah, no, that deck sounds sick. I'm, I'm digging it. You know, that definitely, I'm sure one day we'll, we'll wind up getting around to it. I feel like Kinnon's activated ability is the one thing that I haven't really brewed around it with, but I, I think that's also yeah. because after playing so much Kinnon, you know, it's, you, need, you need a good payoff. Seven is a lot of mana. Even with Kinnon. Well, I think I was running it with Zerda as well. That was the other thing I was trying to do. I, I don't know if that was worth it, but I'm always drawn to Zerda when I see activated abilities. Mm -hmm. yeah, these super cheap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cards banned in Legacy has got to be good, right? Yeah, that's... I feel like they should reverse course on some of that stuff. I don't know. Maybe the three-man attacks isn't enough to, to keep it from being broken, but... Probably not. Lurse is, like, in modern, Lurse is busted. I can only imagine. I mean, there's so many times I wanted to put Lurse in my Legacy deck in the main board, and it's like, oh, whoops, he's banned. Uh, but, I mean, it... Yeah. Yeah, who knows, but uh, Lurse is a sweet card. I love Lurse. All right. Well, let's uh, take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll give a little bit of project update from our Hate Bears and Taxes lists. Welcome back. Uh, so let's dive right in. As a reminder, we uh, brewed up some hate bears and taxes lists from our last episode. Um, I guess I will kick it off. Uh, so I had discussed an Esper hate bears idea that was, you know, looking to play uh, a bunch of artifact creatures and emery and some ways to recur them. I was looking at using um, Unearth and uh, actually ended up using Lazav. 
Um, so <laughs> this list did not actually pan out uh, super well. I will have the, the full list in the um, show notes, but this one was a, a big old 0-4 drop. I only won a single <laughs> game in all of that, but I also had some hilariously bad draws. I had multiple crashes, uh, so this was actually... Um, I, I ended up getting a new computer in the last two weeks because that computer ended up dying. And uh, one of the symptoms on its way to the graveyard was it would hard freeze periodically. Uh, and I had a couple of those while I was playing. So I lost some, some games to um, not actually being present in MTGO. <laughs> um, but it was, it was definitely a train wreck of a league. I actually kind of wish I had it recorded because it was, it was just comical. It was like just bad plays and bad draws and crashes all one after another. Um, but in spite of the bad performance, most of the games actually went a lot longer than I expected, given how they all ended up. Uh, the hate bears were pretty effective at slowing things down, um, but I was definitely lacking for closing power. So, you know, when you have a bunch of two twos and two ones, you really need a way to push damage through. Uh, it turns out that there are a lot of small incidental blockers out there. Uh, spent stone forges, field of the dead tokens. Um, I ran into a bunch of Titan lists that were playing things like Sakura tribe scout. So I just really wasn't able to get damage through. Um, I ended up playing a couple copies of Thopter Foundry and a single copy of Sword of the Meek. And the, the games where I did best were due to an early Thopter Foundry, just because <laughs> that card is so good at grinding. Um, without the Thopter Foundry out, it was uh, kind of mopey. And then if I didn't have a Sword of the Meek, it was super mopey, even with the Thopter Foundry, because you don't really want to destroy your hate bears. You know, that's like the, the one thing keeping you in the game because they're, they're preventing your opponent from just totally overrunning you. And then you have to choose between having a, a flying 1-1 or having this creature that's slowing down the opponent's game plan. Um, Emery, Lazav, and Unearth were all pretty awesome together. Uh, that actually gave a lot of grind. I played a bunch of matches in the tournament practice room just to kind of get a feel for the deck and because I didn't want to commit to another league <laughs> uh, knowing that my computer was crashing so often. Um, I think that if I were going to change the list, I would go down to like ones and twos on the hate bears. I was running three of a bunch. I would lean on Inventor's Fair and maybe add some more of Invention to tutor for them instead of just like drawing into them naturally. Um, I think that Lazav could also be cut or at least reduced to a single copy. I used him to copy Emery a few times and that was awesome but she was really the only target that you'd want to copy. Everything else was relying on like enters the battlefield effects and things like that. Um, and so he's not really a good fit in those situations. Um, he does do a lot for two mana though, by enabling Mox Amber and providing additional copies of your best dead creature. Um, surveil one is not nothing and just sticking around as a blocker slash beater is okay. Um, you know, we'll kind of talk more about all of his upside a little bit later, but the big problem in this list is that the creatures don't make great copy targets in general. Um, so if I were going to keep going with this, I'd probably lean into the Thopter Foundry side of things a bit more just because that card is so good. Um, I would definitely go up on the number of swords and I would definitely want a more robust tutor package. Um, 
I think that the deck also just needed more one drops or turn one plays. Most of the deck was two drops, and uh, the best thing that this deck could do on turn one was an Emery, but it was also kind of rare. So, so in total, I guess my comments are that you know I see I see Emery and I see Lazav and I see Unearth, and you know you're missing Luris. Like this deck absolutely needs Luris. Uh, Luris is so good, especially with Unearth. Yeah, uh, I don't actually have the list up in front of me right now, but I think I was I ended up running a single Luris. Oh, nice. Um, That's something. Yeah, I, you know, I think that at the the end of the day, I actually didn't need as much graveyard recursion because I was playing the Unearths. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I don't know that I would necessarily want to go up on Luris so much, especially because without Emery, I didn't really have a good way of getting things into the graveyard. I actually frequently found myself holding an Unearth or holding a Lazav or like having a Lazav on the battlefield and then not having anything in my graveyard. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so maybe playing into the mill theme a little bit more would help there too. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. I mean, so it's a cool project, and I've definitely, you know, thought a lot about this. I think this is probably something that I'd be very interested in coming back to too. Yeah, I definitely, I think Tidehaller Scholar is also a missed opportunity. Oh yeah, no, I played a four of Tidehaller oh, Scholar. Okay. that card is oh yeah, sweet, so yeah. good. But like you know, I'm really, yeah. I've been really, like in messing with some of these four color Kinnon builds, uh, like blue, green, uh, black, white. Uh, sometimes you'll wind up just getting a purely Esper draw. Like, you know, you'll have Mox Amber, you'll have a Springleaf Drum, you'll have an Emery, you'll have, you know, like Unearth, Monastery Mentor, Tide Hollow Sculler. And then you're kind of thinking, like, oh, you know, like maybe you can just do a straight up Esper version, uh, which I think, you know, probably maybe hybridize the two ideas of the, the Taxes ideas. I do uh, think that Aether Sworn Canonist is kind of amazing, especially if you can recur yeah. it with like Emery and Lurist. Well, and, and that's actually one of the other Lazav hits because it, it benefits just by being on the battlefield. It doesn't rely on and enters the battlefield um, like some of the others do. You know, copying a Tide Hollow Scholar, not super good. Copying <laughs> an Aether Sworn Cannon is much better. Yeah, so does the, I guess Aether Sworn, this abilities don't stack or anything. You get one, you get one nine artifact and the rest have to be artifacts. Yep. Yep. So I actually ran something i guess i tested a little a little bit on the similar side i think your uh proclamation of how good ether sworn canonist is definitely uh, you know encouraged me because ether sworn canonist seems like it's kind of nuts uh, especially something that really intrigued me is you can get uh go like turn two welding jar into ether sworn canonist i mean that's just so much tempo because your opponent then uh if let's say if they can't kill it on your turn, then they have to spend their whole turn killing it. Uh, you get to regenerate it, and then like they have to kill it again their next like on the yeah, during your turn, and they have to have mana up and you know removal spell instant. If they don't, then they have to wait again till their turn. Uh, so it just it can be absolutely brutal. So kind of on that note, I played a blue white Emery Taxes shell. Uh, I've been. When I went to Grand Prix Portland in 2018 playing Cheerios, one of my opponents was actually on Blue Steel, uh, which is like the super cool Artificer's Assistant, Grand Architect, uh, 
just like Lowstone Golem, just like Mono Blue Artifact Beatdown build that uses a Grand Architect to tap your blue, th like Ethereum Sculptor to tap all your blue creatures and then like power out early Lowstone Golems and Worm Coils. Uh, I did wind up beating it, but it was a sick deck and Artificer's Assistant will always have a place in my heart because uh, I, you know, I think it's better than it looks and it looks, you know, pretty medium. Uh, but so for this list, I had uh, one Welding Jar, four Artificer's Assistant, four Vials, four Aethersworn Canonist, four Stoneforge Mystic, four Thalia. And I was also interested in testing Thorn of Amethyst. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Thalia, except yeah, you can't kill it. So I figured, you know, maybe some, uh, you can have some early th Thorn of Amethyst, or you can mill it over with Emery and then cast it with Emery. So that intrigued me. And then uh, for the Stoneforge Mystic, I have a Maul of a Skyclaves. There's four Emery, three Geist, because, uh, you know, while we're in this blue-white kind of Legends uh, area, uh, you know, Geist is pretty good, especially with Stoneforge, Sword of Feast and Famine, Batter Skull, and then four Lowstone Golem to top it off. And uh, now we get Giganta as the companion too, which I've been liking a lot, especially in an Aether Vial deck, because if you take your Vial up to five, you can essentially ignore the tax, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but, you know, so the list, it seems kind of cool. Uh, ultimately, I went to three, kind of how, what I would expect. I beat Ad Nauseam and Red Black Prowess. I lost the Red Black Prowess, uh, Jund and Amulist. Uh, honestly, the list kind of felt medium plus overall. Uh, there are some cool lines you can do, and Artificer Assistant was actually kind of crazy. Like, Assistant was so good in just scrying all this nonsense to the bottom and kind of making sure uh, that you know you'll always have you'll always have at least a decent draw i was actually very impressed with the card and now i kind of want to pursue it in some other shells uh and you know, especially when your deck is kind of filled with junk and a lot of cards you don't want to see two of like i think that in general scrying is becomes more powerful as your deck is filled with garbage yeah i i actually have looked at artificer's assistant a number of times especially in these super super high artifact density decks um i've definitely looked at it for wurza before again you know i'm looking to play 25 or 26 artifacts and when you have that many hits it just kind of turns it into like oh cast a spell scry cast a spell scry and that that definitely seems super appealing. I, I really like that in this particular list because, like you're saying, you know, having two Ether Sworn Canadists on the field is not super helpful, or two um, Thorn of Amethysts, uh, you know. So, yeah, that's uh, that's some spicy tech. I like that. Yeah, I was, I was very very happy with the Artificer's Assistant. Uh, Lowstone Golem is also insane. Uh, I mean, it just, it's so much pressure, like it comes down, it does die to bolt, which kind of sucks. And, you know, but it may, at least with pushy, they have to make them work for it. But, you know, like it, it still taxes them. It's a big beater. It can beat down quick. Uh, you know, every time I get a lodestone golem, you kind of like, you look at the clock, you're like, oh wait, like they're dead in two turns. It's kind of, it's why lodestone golem, uh, I'm a big fan of that card, definitely would be interested in pursuing, brewing to pursue it further. Uh, and yeah, like I mentioned, uh, Giganta as a companion, uh, it's pretty sweet. Uh, you, you know, I just like companion in general. I think they're pretty fun. Uh, the things I want to say though are that I don't feel like this is better than, you know, like a straight up mono white taxes list because, uh, you know, mon taxes always used to have good big mana and combo matchups. 
and then they would struggle against control in mid-range. But now that they get the forced Cartlave Apparition, their mid-range and control matchups have gotten significantly better while they still have really decent combo uh, combo matchups, uh, combo and big mana matchups. And so I think one of the reasons why Taxis was ri managed to rise with Cartlave Apparition was they shored up their mid-range and uh, control matchups. Whereas these, this kind of a list, you know, it doesn't, it's still, yeah, I beat the big mana and the combo decks, uh, but, you know, it didn't control in mid-range, like the Jund was, you know, kind of embarrassing. I mean, I didn't, my draw was kind of mediocre, you know, like a Geist would have been great and a whole bunch of other things. But, you know, they, fair and square, they outgrinded me. My turn two Thorn of Amethyst looked pretty silly because they just didn't care for it. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I would honestly pursue this build anymore. Uh, you know, maybe for a fun thing, but I do think that just the generic mono white taxes is probably uh, stronger on most is equal is equal to or stronger in pretty much every axis as to this deck is. Although this deck does get to play Artificer's Assistant. Yeah, I know that Zach took um, mono white taxes through at least one league, um, and I, I thought I remember he streamed a second or maybe even a third. Took it through four. Oh, leagues. oh, no, no, he he four he four won the league with the straight up uh, mono white. Got it, got it, got it. Uh, yeah, I it sounded like he was enjoying it, and like you said, with the Skyclave Apparition, it's really shored up some weak spots for that deck, so I can absolutely see why it's been sticking around, and I, I think you're probably right that that is the way to go. You know, uh, There's definitely been a lot of eyes on the deck lately, and if there was a better build, I'm sure that it would have started to evolve away from the mono white at this point. Um, and I know that the legacy death and taxes has started running some number of skyclave apparition and that deck has like pretty few flex slots you know there are a lot of really really solid choices in legacy so for it to pick up you know two to three new cards means that they have to be incredibly powerful so i think that that right there is a pretty ringing endorsement for the apparition yeah definitely and then so to kind of round out this, I'm curious, Brian, what would you say is like the biggest lesson that you've taken uh, from Project Taxes? Well, um, so I, I guess before I go into lesson, I did have one other list that I kind of toyed with. I didn't have a whole lot of time to take it through a league because of the whole computer situation. Um, but I also tried to jam Yasharn into a list that utilized Kinnon and the, the Kinnon Emery Uro shell. My thought was that if a, two, uh, a turn two Karn was pretty powerful, then a turn two Yasharn might be also similarly powerful. Um, I only managed to get a uh, turn two Yasharn out once, but the opponent did sit there for a while thinking about what they were going <laughs> to do before finally playing a fetch land and just passing turn. Um, I don't think that Yasharn is actually that perfect for this list as it was built, but I could see trying otherwise, uh, other ways to power out a, a turn two Yasharn and those being pretty effective. Um, the body on it is sweet. It definitely fixed the problems I had with the Esper list, which is like a lack of clock. Like having that four four was was. There's a big difference between a four four and a two two, and it's not just the the extra two points of you know power and toughness i mean it is but it's about what those two points of power and toughness actually afford you being out of bolt range and other red removal range is pretty huge especially now um 
you know, I, it, it really kind of just changed everything. Um, so I think that Yasharn might actually play out a little bit better in like an Abzan list where you can run something like Urborg to turn all of your dead fetches into mana producers. Uh, I definitely got bit by playing Yasharn and then having my own fetch lands that I was like, oh, I can't actually do anything with these. I guess I'm used to, you know, 2019, 2020 card design where things are asymmetrical. And so I got bit by the symmetry. <laughs> So I do want to say with the Orborg idea, Orborg is symmetrical as is Yasharn. So you would actually turn on your opponents. Uh, you, Orborg would apply to your opponents. So you would kind of be back to nowhere where now nobody is hurt by Yasharn. But you do get a 4-4 four, four and two lands. That is fair. Uh, although them having swamps maybe you know, it, it depends what they're playing, right? If they're playing a black deck, then like you've just given them you know their mana back. But if they're playing blue white or, or something like that and they just don't have the pips to to cast their cards it may still be effective but you're right that's a good good point that uh urborg is also symmetrical mm. I mean, so um but the, i think oh god so the you know i mean i i think you know i love this idea i think this is incredible i've actually been having slightly similar thoughts not about yasharn but you know like kinnon turn one drum into turn two kinnon uh, mox ember is four mana on turn two and you know like i've imagined say even something just like a questing beast on turn two like that is that is a clock it comes in for four it's haste it blocks almost unblockable you know really puts the pressure on uh you know it's funnily enough remember let's remember questing beast is a legend and it enables mox amber yeah actually that's a really good thought and questing beast is a good kinnon hit yeah yeah you know maybe (laughs) possibly like so an idea for the future but i do uh, you know i mean i think this yasharn idea is sweet especially using the kin and shell to go for four mana on turn two uh, which is a lot of fun yeah i don't know if it needs to be turn two is kind of what i i was left feeling um we've been seeing a lot of the archon of ameria as well and i kind of feel like if you 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 t2 into archon of ameria and then t3 into yasharn that actually might be even slightly better than just going straight for the T2 Yasharn because it gives you an extra turn to play a mana and set up um, before you you cast your Yasharn. And so hopefully you have all your colors and you're not stuck with some fetch lands in hand. Um, And because the Archon means that fetches come in tapped anyway, uh, you'll have that extra turn needed to set up the Yasharn without having to rely entirely on the Kinnon, Emery, Springleaf, Mox, Amber package. So you could probably cut all of that out. And um, if you simplify the mana, then maybe you don't run fetches or you run fewer fetches. So, um, you know, I think that there's definitely some some uh, uh, pros and cons to, to building with Kinnon and, and that whole package, and it may just not be worth it in this case. Um, but to answer your earlier question, I think that the big takeaway uh, was basically that you just need to have some sort of closer for all of these hate bears and taxes lists. And I think for the mono white and for a lot of these lists, that is Stoneforge Mystic and the equipment package. And, um, you know, being able to push damage through with a sword or being able to attack with a batter skull are all great. I was not playing those, and I think that that was probably the primary mistake. Just not having that that closing power was was what I was missing. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, a really good observation. Yeah, a thing that I have uh, a lesson I learned the hard way by making a lot of these Mopey decks. It's like, wait, I'm doing so well, why can't I win? And then it's like, oh yeah, we don't have any finishers. I mean, I totally, yeah. I 100% agree. You know, that's why, like in my list, you know, I put in for Stoneford. It's like, well, I like, don't really know what else to put in, and I've got a bunch of dinky dudes, so why not? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, uh, you know, taking the, the game out to like turn eight or turn nine and then just losing because you can't attack with anything, otherwise it'll just fall over dead. Is, <laughs> is, uh, it, you know, it's a good way to, to lose a nice long game of magic, but that's, uh, I'm looking to win games <laughs> of magic, long or short. Oh yeah, well, doing my best to win, you know, just win in style though, gotta have style. Oh, for sure. Well, we've got style in abundance. That's, that's <laughs> so how about you? What was your big takeaway here? Uh, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway is that just in general, taxes as a archetype is just so hyper efficient. And, you know, they're just for pretty much every card, you know, like it is the best in its class, like Stoneforge Mystic, best white two drop, now Sky, like I... Aether Vial, best, one of the best white one-drops, you know, Giver Runes, also a really good one-drop. Like now you have the Skyclave Apparition, and so it's just, I think it's just such a strong and focused deck now that I don't think there's too much room to innovate on it. You know, just like all of my improvements kind of made a little bit more mopey deck that had a little bit more style, uh, but, you know, I, the, it's a very good thing that Zach uh, had played the actual mono-white taxes. Uh, a, so I didn't have to, uh, but B, to watch him play it, uh, and as a very great player, uh, to see all the lines, and then I'd watch that first, and then I brewed up my Emery taxes, and I ran through that in the league, and, you know, just the parallels were there, but it was just, like, everything I wanted to do was weaker. Which kind of, I know, <laughs> you take out good cards, you put in medium cards and, you know, a more strong synergy package and oftentimes it's just not as good as the good cards. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that, you know, Legacy Death and Taxes has been around for a while. And while there are certainly some very stark differences... Um, a lot of the creatures actually do cross over. You know, there are some exceptions, but, you know, people have been thinking about these these style of decks and these creatures and what fits into these decks for a long time. Um, and so I think that there's just a lot of, like, you know, knowledge and, and history that can be drawn from Legacy and applied to Modern, even though they are very different formats. You can at least say, all right, you know, we tried this card and it was good in these scenarios, and that probably still holds true even in a different format. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I also do want to mention... That I did not like Thorner Amethyst. <laughs> Maybe it was just the matchups I pulled, but I don't know if I'm actually if I would play that card again. Uh, maybe if in another shell it called for it, but even in this shell, which I thought is you know mostly creature spells and has good artifact synergy, uh, but you know has additional tax effects. But I was I was just never really impressed with it, even though it doesn't die. Uh, it just kind of sits there and doesn't do anything. And if your opponent has a whole bunch of creatures, then it's like really not good. So do you think you would have been happier with Athalia? Yeah, and, and most of the times, yes. Uh, the, but I mean, the deck, okay. the list did run for Athalia already, though. Right, yeah. I, I Just more like, you would have preferred to draw Athalia than, than the Thorn. 
Yeah, I mean, I never, I once had the opportunity to cast it out of my graveyard, but you know, it was to cast Thorn or cast a Welding Jar, and so it's like, oh, you know, like definitely Welding Jar to protect my Canonist. Uh, so, you know, I think it's interesting. Maybe in another shell, but in this shell, you know, I, I had so much hope. Yeah, oh, it was uh, worth a try. I've definitely looked at that card a number of times, and I just hadn't managed to put it in a list yet. But uh, yeah, you know, just got to keep trying. <laughs> eventually one of these bad cards will stick yep yep so it looks like you also uh revisited um a prison deck uh, yeah yeah so this is so this is kind of an update for project prison you know like arayo is kind of like a drug to me uh, arayo is a lot of fun uh you know especially when you flip on magic online it gives you an exclamation point uh when you cast it on turn two there's all there's almost always a pause while your opponent is clearly reading the card and kind of figuring out, okay, like, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, and, you know, I remember the previous uh, Arayo list was banned, and it was essentially banned for a Monastery Mentor, which was good, and, you know, actually it was like really good, but also, uh, you know, you needed to draw, you, after you get resolve a Mentor, you know, see so Arayo when you get a Mentor down, you still have to draw, you know, like, either have an emery on board or draw some of your artifacts and change some things and you can just kind of flounder uh, and if they have a lightning bolt then you're sol until you and zach recommended you know what about karn and that was like oh click click done deal and so i played uh this was weeks ago i played one league and uh karn i think i went two three or three two karn was a huge improvement it kind of solved all the problems uh or at least a lot of the problems and then the other problem I was having though is just not a, uh, just you know now the card now the deck is really Karn reliant and like if you don't have a Karn then your only win condition is Uro, uh, and so to kind of step that up Zach recommended uh, Ancient Stirrings and I think we talked about it a little bit and that sounded really good because a it gets you your Karns and b it gets you your lands it also finds Ancient Explosives and kind of in that same vein it can almost be one green for two spells uh with uh for arayo if you hit a free artifact or if you have a active emery on the board you can uh you know as ancient stories can be uh you'll get the blue mana back with if you hit a mox amber and so it can essentially you know be a free two spells to kind of help you flip your kinnons uh so the list that i uh wound up taking are in uh 19 lands, combination of breeding pools, islands, islands fetches with three waterlogged groves, four bobble, four mox amber, four engineered explosives, three ancient stirrings, four drum, four repeal, four arayo, three kinnon, four emery, four uro, four karn. And you know, just very, very compact. Like we have, we have kind of three things we do. Uh, we use emery with engineered explosives to control the board. We power out fast uh, Uros and Emrys, and we flip Arayos uh, in in some order, uh, and uh, the and so for for the wishboard essentially I just kind of made I'm a big fan of not sideboarding you know like I <laughs> the less I have to sideboard the better it's kind of fun also not sideboarding so my sideboard was two Pongify because I wanted removal without having to dip into uh, now with that, another color, uh, dismember is another option that might actually be better. But pongify is more fun, and ponga you can also like do fun things, like pongify uro with tri with the trigger on the stack, and uh, you know pongify your opponent's thing, and then repeal the token. 
So cool things like that. Two Wilt, which I've been really liking as a card in general for as my uh, artifact enchantment hate. Giganta's your companion. And then the wish board is Citadel, Tormod Script, Pythonidal, Damping Spear, Liquid Metal Coating, Ensnaring Bridge, Trinisphere, Sky Sovereign, uh, Council Flagship, a Worm Coil Engine, and a Ballista. So you just kind of anything that I need. <laughs> uh, you know, ideally, like the most, if Araya was flipped, you'd essentially just wish for Trinisphere and then the game is over because then they need six mana to resolve a single spell, uh, which is pretty great. And so, yeah, I actually took it into a league, and this was the first league I'd played in in like five or six days, so it was kind of exciting. And I got the 5-0, uh, which was also really exciting. Uh, the first one, yeah, the first one for this podcast, and you know, especially with, uh, you know, of all the brews, I think this Araya one is definitely uh, more of the, A, it's pretty out there, but B, I, you know, I like, I, this is definitely like a, a team effort brew especially you know like the men the recommendation of karn just changed so much about the deck and was a, a huge upgrade uh, by you and zach so that's very exciting funny enough the list felt kind of medium only because i think my draws were pretty poor uh, i wound up only having uh i only flipped Arayo four times in my 12 games uh i beat uh i beat grudel midrange the 4c money pile control thing Bent Spirits, Jeskai Flagpire, Jeskai uh, Flagfire, or like Flagstones Wildfire Control, and then Blue-White Merfolk to get the 5-0. Uh, that was also very exciting because Merfolk is my arch nemesis. Uh, they've costed me six <laughs> trophies. I do keep count just because, you know, like, it will be okay as long as their last two cards aren't Force of Negation and a blue card. And every time it is Force of Negation and a blue card. And coincidentally, my opponent played zero Force of Negations against me. Uh, and I won both those games, so, you know, I think there's correlation there. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, honestly, the deck felt pretty, you know, when it was medium, it was medium, but it still won. And, you know, the, the nuts stuff, with the nuts is always the funnest and is the nuts. Like, I had one turn two uh, Karn on the play against uh, Gruel, and so that was pretty sweet. That game just kind of ended there, uh, and... Stirring ancient stirring was also really great. It, most of the time, it was either finding engineered explosives or Karn or land, which is exactly what I wanted to do. I don't know, but actually, ever helped me flip Arayo. But like I said, in general, this li this league didn't feel like a very. I didn't feel like I didn't see Arayo very often. And the cool thing was that Canister actually, someone in his Discord must have seen my tweet and picked this up. And so Canister streamed it this morning. Uh, he took it to a four-one. I, I watched the replay. It was really. You know, it's always funny. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of Canister, uh, but just funny to watch him play these, you know, play these decks, and because they're very much not like the decks that he plays. And so he's like, oh, you like this deck is like strangely functional, or like, oh, you know, like there's some there's some cute synergies here. This is also the second one of our lists that Canister has played. He also played the, our challenge, uh, the list I top aided with in the challenge, uh, the day after that. So you know, very, very cool, very fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, this deck is, I would, if you're interested in just having a little fun and, you know, being degenerate and, yeah, I mean, I would def definitely recommend this list. I feel it's, it's pretty polished. I think it might need, like, 20 lands along with one fetchable, one extra fetchable, maybe even a triumph for engineered explosives, because right now it's pretty hard to get it above two. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm super happy with the list and, you know, like, uh, the trophy trophy felt pretty sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, like you said, you know, Canister being such a good player, uh, the the fact that he was, 
you know, into the deck and, and didn't have like any major gripes with it is, uh, is pretty cool. I mean, just the fact that he, he picked it up in the first place and, and was happy to play it is, uh, is awesome. Love to see that. Love to see that. Yeah. Get, you at, know. get so. at us canister. You can, you can come uh, guest host one day. All right, well, uh, let's take a little break again, and when we return, we can dive into our next project, Project Lazav. Stay with us. Welcome back. Uh, so this week we are going to be talking about Lazav the Multifarious. Um, I think that this uh, this this was actually to, to, to be fully transparent was a last minute pivot plan. Um, we had something else up our sleeves, but with Zach out this week, we decided that we were gonna just like uh, improv a little bit here. And um, I know that. Lazav is a card that both Arun and I have been pretty interested in in the past. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, I jammed it in that Esper Hate Bears shell. It was perhaps not the best fit, but I, I kind of am always interested in trying to find a home for it. Um, so Arun, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of this card? Oh yeah, Lazav the Multifarious. This card is honestly like just a beautiful design. Like, ugh. Ah, oh, so good. Uh, so it's blue and a black for a 1-3 legendary creature shapeshifter. When Lazav the Multifarious enters the battlefield, surveil one, which means scry one, but uh, instead of putting it on the bottom, you put it. You can put it in your graveyard. Then it has the, active abil- the activated ability X. If you tap X mana, uh, Lazav the Multifarious becomes a copy of target creature card in your graveyard with CMC X except its name is Lazav the Multifarious. It's legendary in addition to its other types, and it has this ability. Uh, so this activated ability is pretty unique in that when you, you can copy a legend in your graveyard, and Lazav the Multifarious becomes a copy of the legend, including mana cost, CMC, and everything. However, it keeps its name Lazav the Multifarious. Uh, so if you want to copy your Kroxa and then escape your Kroxa, you can attack with two Kroxa, which is pretty nasty. Uh, so this card is from Guilds of Ravnica. This is the second printing of Lazav as a character. The first uh, was Lazav, the Mirror Mastermind. Uh, he was probably fun in EDH, uh, but you know, no, no other reason to talk about them. Uh, Lazav, you know, being from Guilds of Ravnica, this card is relatively new, uh, and it did actually see play in Standard towards the end of, right before Dominaria rotated, when the when M19 came out and the Kethis combo deck started. Uh, Lazav was played in that deck as, uh, you know, a legend for Kethis that could copy Kethis, but could also copy uh, the Excavator, the mill condition that they used to mill themselves and win with, and also Emery. And so it was actually a pretty important part of that deck, and it's still played in the historic version of Kethis, of, uh, Kethis but I, I've heard from a couple people that the deck is not that great. Uh, in modern, I actually can't find much on this. The only... I. Lazav I could find comes from our faithless family member and Niv innovator Lenny NYNY that made a pretty light splash with it uh, using it to copy Titans. So this is from a this is a 5-0 league from March I believe uh, which is you know 
only six months ago, but like only six months ago. And this list is sweet. It's <laughs> a lifetime. Yeah, it, it, you know, like the thing six months ago is like, wait, these cards were legal six months ago? So it's got four Kroxa, four Lazav, uh, four Astrolabe. Oh, those were the good old days. Four Ugh. Push, three Inquisition, Assassin's Trophy, uh, two Liliana, four Thought Scour, three Thought Seas, Colligan's Command, four Once Upon a Time, and then a slew of four color lands, and, uh, then four Uro, and a slew of four color lands and everything uh, to make it work, uh, along with Astrolabe. And, you know, the. This just kind of plays like a mid-range deck that one-for-ones your opponent and then beats the crap out of you with Titans and Lazav. Which, you know, pretty... That sounds pretty sweet, actually. Yeah, it was super, you know, it's a super cool concept. And uh, many props to Lenny, uh, especially since no one else has really put Lazav to use in Modern yet. And so I'll go back to you, Brian. So what, you know, what makes Lazav a strong card in your opinion? Like, why... Why are you? Why have you been attracted to brew with it? Well, first, it's only two CMC, so um, you know I think that it's no surprise when you're in modern, you want to be casting cheaper cards unless you're playing some sort of ramp deck, um, and you know this is definitely on the cheaper side of things. Um, Surveil one is some value on its own. Uh, you know, I think when Surveil was first announced as a mechanic and people were really trying to get a grasp on it, um, it kind of became clear that being able to put something in your graveyard is more powerful than putting on the bottom of your, of your deck. Um, you know, especially in decks that are looking to exploit the graveyard, which, you know, it if you're surveilling you probably are so uh that right there is you know probably not worth two mana but a one three body with a surveil one is definitely it's probably <laughs> not playable on its own but it's it's at least something um the fact that it's a legend though uh also adds just a little bit more value there you know as we said it's a mox amber enabler um it is you know there's other things that care about legends or uh at least in standard so i was actually playing a lot of standard at the time that this came out um you know historic cards were a thing and historic synergies so um you know that was always something you were kind of looking for can we find a legend can we find an artifact something like that so the fact that it is a legend definitely uh is one of its upsides and the fact that it is a cheap legend because when you're looking to enable mox amber in particular you want the cheapest legends you can get and there are actually very few one cmc legends and of those one cmc legends most of them are not cards that you really want to be and then the last, you know, upside is the fact that it can copy all of these utility creatures. I think that copying the Titans, um, like Lanny was doing, is uh, maybe not the most obvious, but I think probably one of the more obvious things to do with it. I think that it's it's brilliant, and uh, I I don't want to you know make it sound like it's it was like a, an obvious choice for sure, but. Um, I know that's where my mind went when uh, I saw the Titans spoiled possibly because uh, Lazav had been 
you know, on the brain from standard and, and things like that prior. Um, but, you know, just copying other utility creatures as well. Um, you know, I definitely messed around. Uh, so Goblin Electromancer was legal and standard for a little while there. And I definitely looked at trying to jam some Grixis lists that could get, you know, just like a boatload of Electromancers on the field mm. to reduce costs of things and, and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, being able to copy the best creature in a grave in your graveyard or acting as a redundant copy of a card is pretty powerful. Um, you know, I've seen in the Wurza uh, Discord, for example, people talking about running a couple copies of Lazav in the Grixis Wurza list and then running Emery, which is not something that is super frequently done in the, the Grixis lists these days because milling Urza is actually like a pretty big setback. Um, you know, you only have the four copies, but now if you have Lazav, you've got a couple more copies. And so you can be a little bit more free to run something like an Emery because you know that you'll be able to, you know, hopefully find one of your um, Lazavs or if you're also running Luris, then even if you get uh, an Urza and a Lazav into the graveyard, you can recur the Lazav and then copy the um, Urza. So, you know, the, it... it provides a lot of play in decks that don't have redundant copies of certain creatures. Yeah, just, that is one of my favorite lines that in all the lists that I've been doing is cast Unearthed Luris, your Luris comes out, and then you cast your uh, you cast Lazav from the graveyard, then you like copy something else, and it's just, ah, uh, so good. Yeah, for sure. The The downsides, though, I think that, you know, there's... There's definitely some downsides to, to running the Lazav. So as I learned in the Esper uh, Hate Bears list, you know you really have to make sure that you are going to have good copy targets. So you know a lot of the creatures I was playing had enter the battlefield effects like Tide Hollow Scholar. They're not good copy targets. <laughs> um, yeah, you know I, I mean to some extent even copying an Urza like. The reason that that works in that deck is because you're you're looking for a combo piece, right? Like if Urza doesn't mm. produce the construct, it's not the end of the world if that's the last thing you need to win um, or, or to go off with your combo. Uh, but if I were playing him in a normal Urza deck or like a, a mid-range Urza deck that wasn't looking to exploit the Thopter Sword combo on top of that, like I just don't think it would it would cut it as you know something that I'd be looking to play uh, alongside any sort of enter the battlefield creature. Um, so yeah, you really want to make sure that you're you've you're maximizing the hits that you have available. But then along with that, you also want to kind of play into a mill theme or have some way to get things into the graveyard because that was the other thing i found with that esper list was i just wasn't milling enough cards the only thing that was really milling me was emery if my opponent chose not to kill my two twos or two ones then they just sat around on the battlefield and you know i had this dinky little one three that wasn't able to copy anything <laughs> because nothing ever went to my graveyard yeah that makes a lot of sense i definitely agree with you uh you know especially on the like you need to make sure things are going to your graveyard. If you if they have a rest in peace, you feel pretty silly with your Lazav on the table. But even you know, just having the surveil one makes you feel like you're not completely cheated. Yep, yep, yeah. I think the surveil one is like sneakily pretty good. If if Lazav were like three CMC, it just 
it would be a bad card, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah The no. fact that it's 2CMC and has the Surveil 1, it's like, yeah, it's overcosted for a Surveil 1. I would never pay... I probably wouldn't even pay one mana for a sur- Surveil 1. <laughs> like, that's like a zero mana, maybe. Uh, yeah. But, Wor- you know, you opt. got a 1-3, which is like an okay blocker sometimes, and, and you know, the Legend and, and all of these other things. It's really about the whole package, so... And I think if you took the surveil away, that package actually gets a lot weaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% in agreement there. So I've actually been working on Lazav, you know, back and forth for a while. I was originally inspired by a fellow Faithless family member, uh, Ilsic Nasty. Shout out to Ilsic Nasty uh, for, you know, he started work on a Celtai uh, Kinnan Lazav list. And it was pretty, so we went back and forth a little bit, and I think actually Zach gave me some pretty good advice with this list too. And I honestly, I haven't touched this touched this list in a long time. And I'm curious, I actually done not quite sure why I kind of stopped playing it. I guess I just got bored of it. Uh, but you know, I look back on it, and just looking at my old Magic Online decks, and so I have a, you know, I look back and I'm like, man, this list is kind of sweet. Like, I think like, <laughs> like I, I was having ideas. Uh, so there's 19 lands, including uh, a, fetch, a bunch of you know fetches and shocks and Zagoth Triome. Additionally, one Minamo, one Ghost Quarter, and then one Nurturing Peatland, and then also Orberg, because uh, Orberg is in these in decks like this. Orberg is actually amazing because it turns all your dead fetches into actual lands. So I had 19 lands, four Bobble, only one Mox Amber with three Engineered Explosives. You know, I think the more I play with engine explosives, the more, you know, I'm always amazed by it. Just how it wins so many games that I feel like I have no right to win or like the opponent's board like is just going nuts. And you're like, okay, like how am I going to deal with this? And it's like engine explosives. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like get me a nice little four for one. Uh, it's especially if you have Emery and you can just recur and just do all sorts of things. And yeah, I'm, I'm engine explosives huge overperformer. Uh, I pretty much put at least three in all of my uh, all of my Kinnon shells now. And then four Inquisition, four Gilded Goose, one Aether Spellbomb, one Hope of Kirper, one Necrogen Spellbomb, one Nile Spellbomb, because uh, you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a, a deck if we didn't play some medium cards. I have two I have two life from the loam. Uh, I'm not quite sure if they're actually like they're kind of like my stand for Ren and Six. I would have to actually play them again. Uh, but if this deck has the mana, I think it'd be pretty intriguing. Three Lazav, one Trophy, three Kinnon, four Emery, four Uro, three Luris, and one Brokos. Apex of Forever. And the kind of the win condition was uh, Lazav copy Uro and then just beat their face down while you're like being moderately disruptive. And you know. The deck, it seems, yeah, I actually want to, re- I'm very curious to revisit now, because I, I remember not being super impressed by it, uh, and I wasn't, you know, I actually not even quite sure, don't even remember why I wasn't quite so impressed by it, you know, the, the list looks kind of sweet and kind of cool, uh, so this is, you know, one angle that I've been thinking of, and I'm probably going to pick off, uh, pick up right here, uh, but, you know, this is kind of like we've been talking about the Lazav, you know, works well with Mox Amber, uh, copying, like, good copy targets, Kinnan is an okay copy target, but, you know, like, kind of the boring way, copy Uro, because if you went swinging with Uro, that's pretty good. And then you also copy Lurse or Emery to, to recur your spell bombs and 
So it's pretty cute and interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to revisiting it and seeing. I, there's, there's just something about a Celtai grind pile that, you know, really gets me going. Yeah, I, I hear that. This this looks like uh, something that I probably have or, or, you know, looks similar to a list that I probably have sitting in my, you know, my abandoned deck lists mm-hmm. folder in <laughs> TGO. I, I'm sure I've definitely jammed something together similar to this, but yeah, I you know copying the Titans is sweet. Um, just yeah, it's just free extra copy, and then you know getting the attack triggers. Uh, it's it's good feeling. It's a good feeling. <laughs> Probably not for your opponent, but yeah, <laughs> when you get the double attack trigger and your opponent's Oof. just like why why. <laughs> Yeah, like a, a double Oro trigger is like a six-point life swing of it, though. So kind of then, you know, like going, sticking with the Titans route. I'm also very interested in a Grixis list, even though, funnily enough, Grixis is like my actual antithesis in terms of, uh, or is it? No, it's not my antithesis. I'm not green-white. But like, you know, I don't really identify with Grixis at all as like part of my color identity. However, I just I have this soft spot for Grixis ever since when I was in high school, I remember playing old extended and this was invasion to seventh edition invasion seventh edition plus and where did it end? This must have been like maybe a little after Ravnica, I wanna say. So this was oh man, but this format it was be it was just gorgeous, it was beautiful, it was Oh, it was it was something else, and I was actually doing really well. And my deck of choice was uh, Grixis Burning uh, Burning Psychotog, and so this is you know this is well before Planeswalkers, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but it was like Grixis Control that ran uh, Nicecape Familiar to make all your spells cost less. You got Fire Ice. Uh, you get Factor Fiction, you get four remand, four memory lapse, like three spells. This was the days where all your blue decks played four spell snare. Like, man, what a pure time that was. And you play four Burning Wish, and then you have a Sorcery Wish board of like Haunting Echoes and Reprocess and Epicenter and just all these crazy, crazy things. And I did so well. The deck was sweet. Like, you know, just turn two, like, uh, you know, like you'd play your. Uh, familiar on turn three and you get to one mana or a man their spell and like end of turn just like you can factor fiction for three mana they hit her a man like you hit her a man you take their man you man their spell it's just uh it i've been looking i've been trying to make nice cape familiar work uh, and it just does not i would love it if they put it in the modern i you know, i would love to try it but it's it's not quite good enough in legacy but just, and especially with you know how much broken stuff you can be doing now with like uro and planeswalkers and everything like the deck is pretty obsolete in terms of what it does, but I just you know I have just such good nostalgia from that. Yeah, I unlike you, I actually do. I don't know. I feel like I gravitate towards the Grixis colors in general. Like if I looked at my collection on MTGO, I bet that eighty five percent of the cards would be Grixis colors. Um, <laughs> I mean, a, a large part of that is that I am definitely a blue mage, uh, but. Yeah, you know, I, I can never walk away from lightning bolts and and um, you know fatal pushes and thoughtsies is such a sweet card. Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, I I hate it because I know that Uro is the more powerful of the the new titans, 
But man, Crocs is sweet. I like Snap bought a playset of that on MTGO, and I tried jamming it in a ton of different lists, and it's never quite good enough, or at least it wasn't in the lists I was playing. Um, but I am more than happy to continue trying, and <laughs> I think that pairing it with Lazav is like uh, you know a good wine and cheese. Oh yeah, well I think I have some good news for you. I think you will enjoy this next uh, Grixis Lazav deck. Uh, this is 20 lands, uh, Grixis fetches, and uh, Grixis, Grixis fetches, shocks, basics, and uh, two Glimmer Voids, because I just like Glimmer Void in general. It's got four Bobble, four Amber, three Engine Explosives. Once again, never leave, never leave home without Engine Explosives. I've got four Unearth with two Village Rites, one Aether Spell Bomb, two Hope of Girapur, uh, one Necrogen Spell Bomb, one Nile Spell Bomb, and one Pyrite Spell Bomb. I do understand that those artifacts can be pretty medium and mediocre, uh, but you know, the kind of the interesting. I'm very curious because I think, like, I remember playing Mentor uh, and then with Emery and then uh, you know just like Bobble and Springleaf Drum and everything is that you would get to, you know, you'd be drawing one to two cards a turn. And then you'd be making like a couple extra monk tokens a turn, and then swinging out with them, and it kind of, you wound up in this situation where you're dealing, you know, like lethal damage over three to four turns while you're drawing, you know, like one to two, like one to two extra cards a turn, uh, which was, you know, good against control, but not good and like mid range, but it was actually terrible against combo because it wasn't quite fast enough to get there. But something else I'd con- I'd been kind of considering is. What if instead of, you know, you play Monster Mentor and instead of playing uh, things with, uh, you know, things like uh, Bobbles and everything, instead you play cards like Necrogen Spell Bomb, uh, where uh, you, you cast it and you make your opponent discard one. And so instead of you drawing while uh, you're beating your opponent down, is they're, dis- they're losing resources while you beat your opponent down. And especially if you have a fast clock, I think this would almost be better than you drawing cards. Uh, so, you know, this is... I. Th- and Hope of Gear Purge is also a nice lock. The other reason I kind of am leaning hard on these medium cards is that, and the creature suite, it's, and they're filling out the rest of the deck, is one Jace, Vrin's Prodigy, four Lazav, four Kroxa, four Emery, I'm going four Lurus in the shell, and one the Royal Scions. Uh, and a lot of these shells I've tried with three Lurises, and I always, I've all, I always want, you know, there's almost never, you don't want Lurus. It is such a removal, uh, such a lightning rod, you know, gets hit by everything. Just they do not let that stay there. It's also, you know, when you go turn one Emery, it's no, one of the number of things you want to mill. It's a beautiful unearth target, can be copied with Lazav and Emery. You can just kind of get nut, nutty stuff going. I've actually taken this deck through two uh, games, so, or three, uh, three, games so, three matches so far. I'm two and one. My only loss was like a really close one to uh, Blue Tron. Uh, where I just totally flooded out. But honestly, Brian, I think you would love this deck. This deck is kind of sick. Like, it's, you know, it's got grind. It's got it's, it's got ways to just deal with everything. And Kroxa, I mean, I love I love me a good Uro. Uh, and, you know, but Kroxa feels like a totally different animal. Like, instead of, it just, Kroxa ends the game so fast. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it. I don't know. It's uh, it. Like I said, it's definitely the more appealing of the two to me. But you know, I think that 
because the three damage it does is sort of conditional on the opponent throwing away a certain type of card, you know, I, I found that I just was not getting that three damage in in the early game very often. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, people say like, oh, you don't really want to be casting the front half of these, right? Like, you you really just want to be escaping them. And I think that Uro, that's a little bit less true. Getting three life and getting to you know, draw a card and put an extra land down for your turn is a pretty powerful thing. Um, two mana to have your opponent discard a card of their choice and possibly doing three damage seems a lot weaker. Um, so, yeah, I would, I mean, I, I definitely will take this one as is through a league, but I was going to say maybe even look to run some Thought Scours. I don't know, how did you like the JVP in this? Yeah, Jay. I mean, he's a one of, so you know, he's a fun of. But he's been, he's been actually, he was actually really helpful in the one time I drew him. Like you just fill your graveyard with cards so fast uh, that you get him, you flip him, uh, and then you know, you can recast. Uh, you know, he recasts Unearth uh, only, which is or Envil Rights, which is a little medium. But even you know, just being able to hit one of your opponent's uh, creatures that was actually really useful. And then it's just its own win condition. I mean, like this, this deck feels, this deck actually feels kind of nuts. Uh, it you know one of the sweetest lines that you can that you will ever that you can do is uh, turn two like turn one uh, you know like uh, one of your one CMC artifacts into turn two uh, Mox Amber Croaks uh, uh, trigger on the stack cast Village Rites with the Mox uh, to just ah oh, so so good and then you've you've got like two extra cards in your graveyard you've drawn two cards your whole deck is like then you know maybe you draw on earth and then you can unearth and then it's just it this this deck feels it feels really good like it it kills really fast uh which is also you know like if you when you're swinging with uro like if they have a jumper like sure you're gaining value but the game is not really ending you know like it's just kind of prolonging and sometimes they can just top deck what they need to get out of it but Kroxa comes down, like, mm-hmm. you know, between the four Kroxas that you're playing, and also Luris, I think, you know, these all these numbers work, because Luris recasting Kroxa is also really powerful. Uh, just, like, it's another one of your little recursion agents, especially if you can, you know, unearth your Luro, Luris, then right directly, then you can uh, play back your, you play your Kroxa again, like, get them for three, and, you know, just... Once once they're down on cards, it kind of makes... Then you have uh, the Necrogen Spellbomb just kind of lock them out, uh, which, you know, I do... <laughs> Once again, it's a medium card, but it is kind of fun being able to lock your opponent out of doing things. Oh yeah, for sure. I also like. I, I mean, I wish that the Royal Scions got more play or, or fit into some obvious shell because that was another card. As soon as I saw it spoiled, I like I had four in my cart for pre-order. <laughs> the design of it is sweet. I I don't know. It just it seems like it should be the perfect Grixis card. Actually, you know, you get you your looting effect and you have a little bit of combat stuff going on um the ultimate is really sweet i've, I've done it in a couple of times in various uh community league games mm-hmm. and so i'm glad to see that around here too yeah it's definitely i mean i totally agree like it you know it looks like it should be the perfect planeswalker i always really love it when i play it like you said, just like the looting is good, the make your dude strong is good. Like if you give your Croaks up plus two plus zero and trample uh, and first strike, like that, you know, the game's gonna the game's gonna be over in two turns. Uh and then the ultimate too, like starts at five loyalty, that's a lot. Goes instantly up to six, only needs eight to ultimate, and the ultimate is draw four and then like kill anything on the board. 
like yeah that's you know one t- <laughs> makes me sad that you know like we we don't want to play Royal Scions but then I think about it and in so many of the like three to four color decks that I play like oh I need a three mana planeswalker it's like I want to play Royal Scions but I may as well just put Teferi Funraveler in because that card is oppressive yep yep yeah but yeah so I yep. would you know I'm I'm actually very excited to go play some more with this list and maybe tweak it. Uh, it's it feels really good and really strong and you know just and I'm also I'm really digging village rights like that card has been oh yeah it's good yeah I've uh, I played around with it a, a bunch um, again in some community league stuff and then in uh, the mentor week when I did the the Mardu list and yeah you know just. It's like you're actually you're hoping that your opponent tries to remove your creatures because then you get this free village rights and you blank their removal and it's just so so sweet. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm all on board with that card. I think that that is also uh, probably pretty underutilized right now. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I am definitely very uh, excited to take this one through a league. I uh, I think this one's going to be a fun one. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm. I'm also very excited to keep going with it. You know, just something about Grixis. You know, just hits a hits a spot. Like sometimes you want to be a little uh-huh. a little mean, a little mean, a little dirty, and a little grindy. Yeah. So I don't have anything quite as polished as this, uh, especially because this ended up being a bit of an improv episode. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about, like, what, what would Lazav be best with? And, you know, immediately went to Entomb, which is sadly not really like, <laughs> hard. But we do have some, like, kind of approximations or at least overcosted variants. Um, so I did, like, the fastest Scryfall search ever in the, the 10 minutes before we started recording. Um, and, you know, so my first thought uh, as an artifact aficionado was Goblin Engineer. Um, you know, it is an Entomb on a body, but it can only grab an artifact, but it could be an artifact creature. Um, since you have to pay the, you know, converted mana cost of the creature to copy it, the restriction of three CMC or less on engineer may actually not be so bad. Um, so, you know, one of my first thoughts was like, um, the mirror superior or something, just like a really big creature mm. that has some sort of restriction from you either casting it or whatever. Uh, now I don't think that that's actually going to, <laughs> to win games of modern, but like that's the general shape of things that I, you know, I was thinking, um, so, you know, maybe something like uh, entombing an Aethersworn Canonist or, or something like that, you know, can kind of provide you a little bit of a toolbox element mm. to a deck. Mm-hmm. Um, the other card that I was looking at that I think actually might have promise is Gifts Ungiven, since some of the cards go to the graveyard and some of the cards go to hand. Um, you know, mm-hmm. usually when you're playing Gifts, you can engineer it so that whatever cards you pick it's always advantageous to you. Like whether they go in the graveyard or they go to your hand, you're, you're making out. And, um, that might be an additional angle. I haven't really seen gifts played with many creature decks, but you know, uh, it definitely seems like it could be worth pursuing or looking into. Um, I know aspiring spike has been playing some gifts on given decks and there's kind of been a bit of a resurgence with the card. So, uh, maybe this is one more angle for that. 
Um, the other card I saw, and we're kind of moving into like super speculative territory here, is Mythos of Brokos. Um, so this is one of the new Aquaria cards. <laughs> the listeners can't see, but Arun is shaking his head. Um, so. so this one puts uh, cards. It, it puts card a, a card into your graveyard, but only if you have spent blue, black, green, green to cast it. That's when you get the entomb effect. Otherwise, it just returns two permanents from your graveyard to your hand. This is this Go is ahead, what hap- this is what happens when you know when Zach is gone for a week. All of a sudden, you're talking about Mythos of Brokos. Well, you know, it's uh, it's like the memes you see on Reddit. Mods are asleep. Post whatever. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, so I'm you know I I don't think this is worth pursuing. To be perfectly honest, four mana is a like no. You know, I think that you're right. Four mana is just the mind sculptor mana. Like you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta be doing something really really. I mean, it is like. Kind of like a demonic tutor, plus also a regrowth in one card, which is not. Well, but it's a double regrowth. Yeah, well, if it's you a demonic. Yeah, but if it's a demonic tutor, then like you only get one regrowth because you get something from your graveyard to your hand, and then you get another card in, or you get something from your library to graveyard, and then that card to your hand plus one more in your graveyard. So it's like. No, it's it's something to your graveyard and return two cards from your graveyard to your hand. So you can put whatever you want in your graveyard and leave it there and take two different permanents. Yeah, or you can just use this demonic tutor yeah. plus regrowth. But <laughs> I mean, you're right. The fact that it has very strict color requirements to get the entomb effect makes it probably not good. Um, but you know, it was something that had an entomb-like effect. Um, and then if we want to go like really off the deep end, there's Final Parting, which is search your library for two cards. One goes to hand, the other goes to your graveyard. It's a five mana sorcery. Yeah. Uh, that's just not really where we want to be, unless we're also somehow ramping maybe. But I feel like there's probably much better things we can be doing with our mana. <laughs> yeah, five. You know, you're, you're telling me to spend more money than spend more mana than casting an Omnath. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, it was a quick search, and mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to have more than Goblin Engineer uh, and Gifts Ungiven. <laughs> I mean, you know, Goblin Engineer and Gifts Ungiven, those are pretty good ideas. Goblin Engineer and Demur Superion is cute. Uh, you know, if I think you're right in that it's not really going to win too many games of Modern, but, like, if you're forced to play a bunch of really bad creatures, that's not the worst thing you can do. The Gifts Angle is also pretty interesting, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that could be pretty fun. I'd imagine it'd be more so just like you add it to one of in your Gifts and Given deck and then, you know, it's part of your recursion package or something. Like maybe you can Gifts for something like Kroxa, Lazav, uh, Mox Amber, and then on a, and Unearth or something like that. Yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking is that if you included Unearth and Lazav and like a Titan, you know, um, you're kind of painting them into a a pretty bad spot like they're not really going to want to put the titan in the yard so that'll probably go to hand they'll probably put the unearth in the yard maybe the lazav in the the yard yeah i don't know you got to think through some of the piles there but um you know i think that you could probably engineer it in such a way that there's just no good options for them um yeah, yeah i don't know maybe that's the the way to pursue this you know i think that 
there's probably just not quite enough good goblin engineer targets. Like I think a lot of what you're going to want to get are non-creature artifacts, and uh, since Lazav can't copy them, that may not be the best pairing. Yeah, definitely. But it, you know, I do. Yeah, the Gibson given is definitely pretty interesting. I think that I think there is a direction worth pursuing there. Yeah, and the fact that you can do it on end step is particularly nice because if you already have a Lazav in play, that really just gives you an opportunity to like go grab a bunch of cards and then hopefully the next turn you have the mana to copy whatever it is that ended up in the yard. Yeah, you know, like maybe maybe add Phantasmagoria into your gifts pile. Oh, spicy. Yeah, too much card disadvantage. But you know, curious. I think yeah, that that you know, I I'm very happy you brought up gifts. That's definitely not a direction I was thinking about at all, but I do think it would be a pretty present a pretty interesting challenge. Yeah. So uh, other kind of rough ideas that I, I came up with. Um, I mean, this is something that I had thought about a lot before, but copying a Kinnon, um, it's like way overboard. There's not really a lot of reason to do it but you do make a boatload of mana if you have two Kinnons on the board. <laughs> uh, I'm just not quite sure what we're doing with all of that mana. Like, we're, you know, we've been playing these Kinnon shells for a while now. It makes a ton of mana. We use the mana. Like, we don't, we don't ever seem to be lacking for things to do. So I, I don't know if this is a, a good path to pursue. Um, but I guess, you know, more generally, copying other legends uh, can be incredibly powerful because oftentimes things are legends because the effect is too powerful to allow you to have multiple copies. Mm, um, mm -hmm. So in that same vein, uh, I'm always really interested in Zerta. It's not something that I've ever, like, managed to find a good list for, but it seems like it would be a pretty good fit in a Lazav list. So... You know, Zerda on its own is going to reduce the cost of copying a creature. So imagine copying a, a well, I guess you're not going to, uh, yeah, no, you copy a Kroxa for one or copy an Uro for one. That seems pretty sweet. Um, and actually, if you ended up copying the Zerda, you now have a, a four mana reduction on other activated abilities. And so that's actually kind of where I was like most leaning. You know, what is a super expensive activated ability that we don't want to pay full price for? Um, and that kind of ties back to the Kinnon thing. If we could copy a Zerda, now Kinnon activation is three mana. Now, I don't know what we're finding with Kinnon. <laughs> like, I think that we're, we're, we're treading in some like pretty janky territory here. But, you know, I could see a combo deck maybe that is looking to copy a Zerda. So you end up with the two Zerdas on board and then just like you know be able to activate something that would otherwise cost seven eight nine or ten mana you know something like that just like really bring the cost down to something a little bit more manageable and then hopefully win with it now that's as far as i got i did not have time <laughs> to do the the requisite searches for activated abilities but uh yeah i think we talked about this a little previously i mean this di this idea is interesting you know i you mentioned it previously too. I think the best, if you're going, if you want to go down this route, the best payoff would have to be Urza, because a one mana Urza activation is like the sweet spot. You know, like, damn, that's nuts. But then, you know, so this idea sounds great. But then you think about it, and you have resolved is you have a Zerda on the battlefield, and you have a Lazav copying a Zerda, and then you also have an Urza on the battlefield. And at this point, like, do you really need a one mana Urza spin? 
you seem like you're in a pretty good position but you know maybe you just want to you know end the game right on the spot and mine's desire for 10. Yeah, that's kind of why I was thinking that it might be better as like a combo deck. Like if those are, you know, two pieces of a combo deck of some sort. But again, without having spent the time to like really think about it, this is just kind of uh, an out there fringe idea, you know. Um, But that's definitely, you know, I think I'll probably spend a little time thinking about that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I will definitely look into the goblin engineer side of things, see what sort of three CMC or less creatures we can copy, uh, just like off the top of my head, actually, um, you know, thinking back to the project Urza, where we tried some of the more aggressive shells, I wonder if there's any space there for like, um, using Lazav to A, enable Mox Amber, which is another artifact for those decks, um, and being able to make black mana means that you can use it towards activating um, you know, the cranial plating uh, at instant speed, which is pretty cool, but um, really being able to copy something like a Signal Pest seems pretty good, because that was one of the things, like, signal pest eight removal almost immediately because all the other creatures are just so mopey on their own um so maybe there's some space there to provide a little bit of a redundancy for the signal pest i i, I don't know you know hmm. just uh, throwing things out there yeah no I, I think this is you know could be pretty interesting especially if you still play luris in this case you know it's kind of like another way to get there you know maybe you can make Lazav copy signal pest swing trigger on the stack you can copy you can turn him into something else so like he gets his power back oh yeah that's uh that's a great idea actually yeah, yeah. food food for thought I, I like this idea like this blue blue black blue black terrible artifact beatdown. sign me up any excuse <laughs> to sleeve up mem Knight, i'm down yeah Actually, I think you just touched on something that we didn't really discuss, but that's a a really important aspect of Lazav. Being able to change what creature he's copying mid-combat can be a real, real game-changer and is definitely something to be aware of. You know, you attack in with the Lazav, and if your opponent isn't thinking of that line, you know, last-minute copy Kroxa or something like that, yeah, you may not have gotten the trigger, but you also, you know, like who's going to block a one three like nobody's going to block it they're probably you know they maybe they'll try and kill it in response to the trigger i guess but uh <laughs> you know i it's it's a way to sneak through on some combats i think and uh, is definitely a line people should be aware of and now, now we just got to find a way to put phage in the graveyard and we're all set <laughs> uh cool well these have been some uh, interesting ideas. Yours are certainly much more well thought out than <laughs> my own, but hey. uh, all yeah, there's definitely some fun stuff to explore. All ideas start out unorganized. I can I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, you know, I think that we are at the end of our um, improvised material. So I guess, you know, Zach isn't here, but I, I feel like we still have to do the, uh, the bumps and dumps in his honor. So oh. do you have any bumps and dumps this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll absolutely have to do bumps and dumps in Zach's honor. Uh, definitely, I guess, uh, bumps... And I guess, you know, bumps and dumps to the whole U.S. election system. 
I mean, it's working, but it's not working well. Uh, but, you know, at least it's working. The fact that we have to wait so long for like all this stuff and it was blocked by Republican state legislators and everything for the vote counting is just absurd. But what can you do? So now we're all kind of suffering in mild anxiety. Uh, so dumps to that in general, but also bumps uh, because it's like I said, it's kind of working. And then, you know, go ahead. I, I don't I don't mean to interrupt, but, uh, you know, on the on the on the bright side, this has been uh, a pretty great turnout in terms of number of people who voted this year. And by all accounts, in spite of some of the setbacks in, you know, being able to start counting sooner and things like that, um, you know, everything that I've been reading and, and hearing seems to indicate that the process has been very smooth and that this has actually been one of the easier election cycles in terms of um, the processing of votes and how orderly things were. And there were like actually pretty few like screw ups at polling places and things like that. You know, like we had we have we've definitely had our fair share of uh, gaffes in terms of elections in, in past years. So, you know, I, I'm right there with you that this is like dumps to the, the stress and anxiety and um, obstruction and all of these things. But, uh, you know, there is some small iota of upside <laughs> <laughs> and sadly we have to dig for the super small upsides uh but on on a little bit more positive note i would like to say uh big bumps to deep fried apple pie uh man made oh, some some yeah. homemade deep fried apple pie from uh david chang's momofuku recipe uh mm. so good you know like mcdonald's won't deep fry their they bake them now they don't fry them it is heartbreaking because i love them fried and now i don't like them baked uh, so I made my own deep fried apple pie. It was amazing. I'm probably gonna go to the farmer's market this weekend, buy more apples and cider and make a third batch. That sounds amazing. What about you, Brian? You got what are, apart from the what we just discussed, I got any more bumps and dumps? Uh, I don't, I mean, um, bumps to a new computer, I guess. That's That's been pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I, I'm a software engineer. I tend to buy super beefy computers, and then by the time it's it's time for a new computer, they're like, you know, eight years old and like well past their expiration date, and that's <laughs> no different here. Um, so it's pretty sweet to be on like a top of the line computer for a change. And definitely, you know, I'll ride this one to the ground like I have with computers past. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, bumps to uh, staying positive and having, you know, it's self-care. Uh, I have, you know, everybody's stressed right now. Uh, I have a lot of stressed out friends. Uh, I am stressed. And uh, <laughs> just, you know, bumps to, to taking care of yourself, recognizing that this is a stressful time. Um, and dumps to stress. Yeah, I think that's, that's that's all I got this week. Um, yeah, pretty pretty universal. Um, I dig it. Cool. Well, then until next time, uh, stay safe out there and uh, and have fun in the leagues. Yeah, take care, everyone. Have fun incinerating some tickets on some suspect brews. Uh, but still, you know, have fun while doing it. It's a lot of fun. I do. You know, I maybe there's a word in German uh, for that pause when you cast a. A less than typically played spell and your opponent freezes on magic online for like 10 seconds while they're reading your card it's probably a word in german for it but you know i do love that sensation 
Have a good one. <laughs> Take care, everyone. <laughs>